top bins, top tier commentary. Top drawer, upper 90. You already down. know. You it's more already know. I think that's how it always goes. Like 45 minutes, and we're at like Chelsea. What are we doing? Um, I'm Dominic Ponteri. I am Matt Kessler. And we are here to talk about Champions League soccer today. Hey, it's Top Ben's time. What's up? We're back. Welcome back to Top Bins, the show bringing you all the action from England and Italy. I'm your host, Matt, joined by my co-host, Dom. Dom, how are you doing tonight? Good, man. First uh, first real day of uh, spring break. I have the whole week off from work, so I'm really, really excited. You know, got a couple things done, hit the gym early today. Uh, that was a nice feeling. Um, yeah, man, we're just feeling good, ready for another episode. We're, we're coming up on a on a year of weekly consistent episodes right now. So that's, that's nice. A couple yes, more sir. months. Yes, sir. I hope everyone enjoyed their Easter. We know plenty of uh, players did, uh, especially if anything is to go by today's results. I think some players maybe enjoyed Pasquale a bit too much in Italy. Um, before we get started today, though, we got to remind you about our sponsored because this episode of Top Bins is brought to you by Being Your Board. Binio is the next big tabletop game for your man cave or she shed. Uh, you should think of this game like uh, paper football meets foosball, and you've got Binio board. It's uh, incredibly fun, incredibly engaging. It's a game and lifestyle brand based in Phoenix, Arizona. Binio's goal is to provide the highest quality boards and a true brand experience. Every part of their boards have been tested time and time again for the best possible playability so that every Flickers experience is a positive one. Uh, so you know when you're buying from Binio, you're getting the good stuff only. Bring the world together with Binio and hear someone's story from the other side of the pitch. You can go to BinioBoard.com and use our code BinioUSP for 10% off your order, including the newly launched Team, Team USA World Cup board and merch. Because we do have the World Cup year, right? You know, we, we got the World Cup to look forward to. USA will be back in it. So why don't you go and get something really nice and decorative for when you're hosting your World Cup viewing parties. That's code BINHO, which is B-I-N-H-O-U-S-P, for 10% off your order at BinioBoard.com. Dot com. Dom, we're going to start in Italy yeah. where I think there's the, the most drama and I think it, week to week we're pretty much going to be covering the top three and their results and dissecting the games just a little bit. Um, this this week again, you know, two of the Milanese clubs uh, with, with really strong results uh, getting back on path. Napoli falling off with a draw today, but we'll start on Friday where we had Inter and Milan both playing uh, respectively. Inter 3, Spezia 1. Um, Good away win from Inter, I, I think, gets them back on the path. Spezia have been a, a little bit of a tricky opponent considering their place in the table. They've, they've tripped a few teams up this season, Milan included. Um, 
and it was a I think a really good result from Inter. I think it was back to where we had seen their level a little bit. And I think if you're you know looking from their perspective, this is the type of, of game that they, they would like to be playing. These are the types of results and performances that we had been more accustomed to with them. Uh, Alexis Sanchez, uh, really good performance from him. And uh, Brozovic with one of the goals of the season, beautiful, beautiful volley into, into top bins, trademark, uh, helps them secure this win. Yeah, man. Uh... Uh, Inter's getting back. They're getting that steam rolling, uh, a lot of momentum going. And they have a the fairly easy end to the season. Uh, if you take a look at their remaining, I think, like five games or so, they have a game in hand on Milan. So they're they're sitting in a nice position right now um, with, with the games remaining to possibly win the league. You know, they just have to keep this consistency going. Um, and, you know, based off of this result with a, with a tricky little team in Spezia, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a nice confidence booster moving on for these, these final games. Yeah, I think it's, it, the result is obviously important, but I think really the performances had been what were, were really bad for Inter, yeah. where the worrying sign is not only were they, they drawing a lot or dropping some games you weren't accustomed to, they weren't scoring very much. Uh, Latora gets a, a goal in this, a really nice one too, really just kind of improvised finish. He, he flicks it towards goal and it finds its way in. Um, those are the types of moments that I think, you know, can give them the confidence down the stretch. Um, you know, and let's not forget too, they are the reigning champions. Uh, they, they have dealt, you know, the, the core of this team has dealt with high leverage games and high pressure situations. And like you mentioned, they do have a pretty favorable end to the season. So, um, Nico Barella, I, I thought was fantastic again in this game. Has he's been all season? He's been one of the best midfielders, if not the best midfielder in Syria again uh, this year, and he's he's really really just improving uh, every month. It seems like I, I'm watching him and just enjoying him play. Um, so Inter, yeah, yeah I, I think you know they, they have this game in hand still. That that's the big thing. It's very much in their destiny at this point. I expect both. Uh, Milan clubs though will can will drop more points, you know, in, in the games remaining. Um, that's just been the way this season has gone. I think that neither of them have really strung together, you know, five straight weeks of of undropped uh, points or or not, you know, slipping up at some stage. So we'll have more drama, I'm sure. But yeah, you're you're right to point out Inter certainly have the path. I I think if if you were looking at it objectively as the easier path, but yeah. We know it's not always that case, right? You know, both of these teams have, have dropped to, quote-unquote, easier opponents at times this year. Yeah, um, and, and that's that's obviously the most crucial part, right? Which team is more consistent? Like you said, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of times we've seen this season with the top teams, you know, just not being on. But it's nice to see that, uh, well, I use nice very sparingly here, but... It's nice to see that, you know, they're, they're guys that they can count on for goals uh, are starting to score again. You know, Lautaro has been that that piece for Inter. If they want to succeed, he's got to be on the field. He's got to be scoring goals because, you know, it's very concerning when their two starting strikers don't score goals, have, you know, mediocre performances. They get subbed off. The two guys that get subbed on for them are the ones who score the goals. So, you know, it's it's – Know, very concerning for Inter that you know guys like Jekko and, and Correa can't get it done. I mean Correa, you can kind of understand because he doesn't always see game time. But with with a guy like Jekko against a team like Spezia, you expect him to at least find the back of the net once. And you know he's kind of had a lackluster last few weeks. So 
you know, as long as Inter can get the guys that are scoring goals and Lotaro can keep up his consistency, Inter doesn't have anything to worry about. And that puts pressure on, on Milan to, you know, get their performances with a arguably much tougher end to the season. Yeah, it's interesting because Dzeko in the first half of the season, I thought was one of the signings of the year. You yeah. know, when you consider yeah. how well he's playing, the, the price that they got him, uh, he definitely has cooled off a little bit. I think some of that is age too. I, I don't know that they came into the season either perhaps expecting to have to rely on him so much. I think they were hoping Correa would hit the ground a little faster. Um, I'm sure they were hoping Sanchez maybe could have played a, a slightly bigger role in, in kind of rotation. Um, but yeah, I, I also don't think it's a coincidence that when Latoro wasn't playing very well uh, and Jekyll wasn't scoring quite as often, that that was when Inter had their worst period of the season. Um, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that those two periods overlapped. And now that he seems to have come out of that that dry spell, uh, they, they look so much better. Let's let's kick over to, to Milan here, who won 2-0 over Genoa. Uh, snapped a, a two-game uh, nil-nil streak uh, where Milan just had not been able to score goals. That was not as much an issue in this game because it turns out when he played Blessing, uh, he loves to bless the uh, opponent with a nice victory because as much uh, off-the-field acclaim as he's getting, I have to say the results have not been super convincing uh, for Genoa, who are in very real danger now uh, of going down. I, I think it has to be said. I, I, I think they're, they're they're done for this year. But um, Rafael Leao uh, gets on target with a, a beautiful, beautiful vibe volley off a cross um, from your man, Kalulu, of course. Uh, and this, this is the type of win that Milan haven't been getting, um, that, that they really needed. They just needed to get over the line, I felt. Uh, I didn't think they, they played particularly poorly in, in their recent games. I, I didn't see anything from them that was just dreadful against, you know, Torino and Bologna, but just lack of lack of attacking options and also yeah. lack of lack of finishing i think at times even lack of creativity um you saw some of that uh, melt away in this game which is which is big because you know obviously you're, you're keeping yourself on pace of the title i still think that there is a lack of creativity and finishing even in this win i mean you're playing a team like genoa where you can kind of get away with those mistakes um you know they play Lazio, Roma, Sassuolo, Hellas Verona coming up in the end of the season and you know you have to put away chances. Salamakers had two three chances right in front of goal yeah. he sends them flying into Rosette like come on now. Like it, it it's very obvious that you know that right side and that number 10 just are it, it's a it's a broken record every every time Milan plays. You're always saying that because there's no creativity from them. It's either coming from the defensive mids or it's coming from a fullback, right? This the striker isn't getting service. Leal got that service because Kalulu went up. That's that's the only reason. And right? Leal made a, a great back post run too, which hasn't yeah. been the case either. I, I don't think there's been a ton of mobility outside of Leal in that yeah. that front area because you know, no disrespect to Giroud and Ibra and, and when Ibra has been able to play this season, they're not mobile guys anymore. They're good at positioning, no. sure, but I don't know that they're making those like curving late back runs because I don't know that they have the speed to do it anymore because yeah. you have to time it so perfectly. And, and the only way that like guys like Giroud and Ibra can play better and Milan plays at a, at, a, at a higher level is when they have a competent number 10 that can make those offsetting runs when you play the ball up to the striker and they can play them off onto that secondary run and, and, you know, really put pressure, it opens up a lot more space to cut it back to them and then they can finish. Or if you can get, you know, wing play on both sides, right? So they don't have to solely focus on layout. You can get good service in to these towering strikers who can get ahead onto the ball or head the ball down to, again, the number 10. So it, it's really concerning when it, they don't have that. 
Um, it's it's a little odd, you know, to see that Pioli went with a 4-3-3 instead of a 4-2-3-1 like they normally have all season. I'm assuming that's because they don't have a number 10. So they're, take, they're playing to their strengths, and they're playing three midfielders that can kind of hold down the middle of the field. You know, Kessie, Benacer, Tonali, it's a lot more structured there, right? Um, it, it gives more freedom to the fullbacks to get forward as well because those two outside mids can kind of stay back and cover that space if needed. Um, but it's it's still concerning for Milan. I mean, even even Macias' goal wasn't the most well taken. You could argue it's kind of luck, right? His initial shot was saved, and he kind of had to fight for that second chance that he put into the back of the net. I mean, this could have easily been like a 4-0, 5-0 game if everybody else would just put put away their chances. I mean, the, the only good news is that you may not have to play Gabio for much longer with, with Kier still, you know, getting back to full health. And, and then hopefully, you know, that's that's good with the quality of the teams that they're playing later on in the, in the season. Um, but there's still some glaring issues with Milan. And, and, you know, with all the rumors that are going on with, you know, a possible financial takeover, new investors looking to buy the team, maybe money can come in so they can, they can splash big in the summer market, but who knows? But you know, it's 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 concerning for for me and for other fans of Milan and for the team themselves. You know, moving forward with these last five games, they've got to play almost perfect. They've got to bring back that form that they had in the beginning of the season because if they don't, second place again. That's that's yeah. what's going to happen. Pioli was talking a, a little about that in his interview too saying he's unsure whether to push them you know harder or to to lay off them too because i think also there's a recognition that this team is very much in and we talked about this last week and in their you know how different the table looked this year compared to last year and milan have been pretty consistent year on year um what's been better is the the defending this season has gotten better in fact this yeah. is their sixth straight clean sheet um which is very very impressive when you consider that this team hasn't really spent tons of money on the defender uh, like you mentioned kier has been out for pretty much the entire season now um and yet they've still had this this great defensive record still a great defensive team um yeah, I do think, you know, too, they are a little inexperienced in some ways. Uh, they didn't really have a true title race last year, I wouldn't say. It didn't. It felt like, you know, even by February, they were, they were pretty much out of it. Sometimes we all just need to wind down after a long day of enjoying our favorite sports teams go to work. And with the rise of streaming platforms, new TV shows and movies are popping up every single week and it might be overwhelming not knowing exactly what to watch. Well, that's where streamer season comes in. The exclusive streaming platform discussion podcast for TV and movies on the Underground Sports Philadelphia Podcast Network. Join me, KB, and a plethora of our hosts right here at USP breaking down all the new TV and movies that you guys should be watching across all the various streaming platforms that are available to the masses. Catch us on streamer season wherever you get your podcasts. But this year, you know, if the title's still there for them, you know, they would likely have to win. They have to win at least four of the five, I would say. Um, I don't think Inter's going to run the slate the rest of the way. I don't think they've been that type of team uh, recently. Now, of course, the, this could be a turn in form for them. 
Um, but to me, they have not been that type of team this season, uh, really since the, the the turn of the new year to just rip off five straight wins. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they drop points there too. Uh, so it is still, I think, very much in Milan's uh, control whether or not they win the title. You know, in fact, if, if they if they win, especially if they win all five, I, I think they they have the title in their hands because I, I do think Inter's do a, another you know poor performance here. It just matters that Milan gets a win on that same week. All right, that same match there that Inter drops points, Milan has to get points. Whether Inter drops all three or drops two, they have to take that two-point lead and turn it into at least a four-point lead because uh, – or, or sorry, yeah, a four-point lead uh, because with that extra game in hand, they want to have that comfort of, you know, knowing that if Inter does play that – when they do play that extra game, even if they get that result, the, the first place is secured. So, I mean, it, it's good – to see that they have been consistent, right? If they finish second again, second place two years in a row is good, which means that they're almost there. They're almost there. And you make a good point saying that defensively, they're, 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 they've been playing fine. Tamori is a huge acquisition. He's been playing so consistent all year round. It's just a matter. It's just a fact of, you know, they're playing so well, but they're getting tired. And with all the individual errors or, or lack of finishing up forward, you know, it's it's almost bound to happen that the defense will get scored on in certain games, and yeah, and, you know, it's just that's that's the biggest issue. It's been their issue all season, and the fact that they were able to play so well in the beginning of the season and, and get this first place with lead and kind of hold it for so long, you know, you know, given they did drop a couple times and get back into the lead and all that kind of stuff, but you know, with with the team that they have, it, it is good. I mean. Uh, most fans, when you spoke to them in the beginning of the season, they said top four, top four again, you know, with the fact that we really didn't do anything with the attack other than sign Giroud was, you know, the goal, get back to the champions league so that we can, you know, continue getting extra more money and more funds so that you can make those signings. And then a lot of fans started getting a little diluted because they started playing well. Right. And now they're like, okay, if we don't get a win, you know, this, the season's a disappointment. I don't think it is. I really don't think it's a disappointment because nobody really expected Milan to win this year. Uh, yes, the last two years they have held the first place spot for a while, but it's it, it's bound to happen that they drop down. So if they if they get second, you know it sucks that they lose out to Inter again, but they're the best team in the league. So uh, I'd like to clip. I'd like to clip you saying that Inter are the best team in the league. I'm speaking. I'm speaking objectively here. You know, I'm yeah. not. I'm not like. No, I think that's totally fair. Do, most of the time, I do speak subjectively in in favor of Milan. But like, this is one of those you know conversations where you know have to speak objectively, and a lot of fans won't agree with that. You see it on. I see it on Twitter all the time. You know, you can't be thought of. You know. Or, the, or your opinion can't be taken seriously if you're not speaking, you know, subjectively in Milan's favor. But, you know, that's that's kind of how I see it. If they don't fix this or if they don't start getting quality, I, I don't think Salamaka should play for the rest of the season. That's, At least starting. I don't that, that's certainly should. a good starting point is Salamaka's right? like, uh, not, a, I think, not I featuring so heavily in a, in a title-chasing team because I he is not of that quality. The 4-3-3 is kind of how they have to go for the rest of the season. Because Brahim Diaz just is not it either anymore. And leaving that major hole in the middle of the field is just not ideal for Milan. So I think the 4-3-3 with, with Kessie, Tonali, and uh, Benacer is the way to go. 
and then getting Macias on the right because it just seems that Macias gives more creativity. He can finish in front of goal more than Salamakers can. Salamakers gets himself into good positions, and he, he does decent on the link-up play, but when he's in front of goal and he gets his chances, it's just not good. And I don't know if it's a lack of confidence. I don't know if it's just his lack of quality. But, you know, also it doesn't help when the fans constantly berate him. And, I mean, they do have good reason too, but it always seems like that player that plays in that number seven role gets killed by the Milan fans. Yeah. All the time, well, whether it's Suso, whether it's Castillejo, whether it's Salamakers, even Macias to a certain extent, the Milan fans are just ripping them apart. And I don't know why, because Milan has never had a quality right winger ever. Like even when you think back to when they won the Champions League in 07, they played a 4-3-1-2. Like they've never had a winger, never on the on the right side. They've either played a striker or somebody else because, like, they've had Rubinho play both sides or, like, Ronaldinho or wherever, but they always end up going back centrally. They've never had a right winger. And when the new coaches and stuff have switched the system up and they've played wide now, it's just not the same. And they've never put the money into it. They have to splash it. And that market is so small compared to going from midfielders or strikers or something like that. So, you know, it's 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 tough to get a quality signing. And if you do go for younger talent, who knows how they're going to come around? That's what happened right now, right? Salamakers and Macias. Even Macias isn't young. He's 30. But, you know, when you when you get those, you know, prospects, do they end up, you know, unfolding in into the into the positive? But it's, it's going to be a tough end to the season for them regardless. And hopefully they can keep up some consistency because I wouldn't be surprised if they drop down a second. Yeah, well, considering, you know, uh, speaking of, of tough ends to the season, Napoli drew today 1-1 with Roma. Um, frustrating, and, and this is why, for me, they've been out of the title race. For me, in, like, my mind, uh, certainly they're still even in it now, uh, considering the points, but just their inability to win these, like, big, kind of more, like, emotional, crucial games. Um, one they really needed today to just to keep pace and, and keep the pressure on. And, you know, we saw this against Atalanta, you know, they, they're just not able to, to put this together and it, it's very frustrating and, um, a deserved, deserved draw. Really. They, they probably should have lost this game given their performance. Uh, I thought Roma were the better team in this one. Um, and Roma, you know, have, have had a, a really strong season, honestly, under Mourinho. And they're in the Europa Conference League semifinals now, uh, which is uh, a big deal for them. They could be the first Italian team to win a European trophy in uh, <laughs> a very long time now. Um, it's it's interesting, right? Because Napoli now have, have really struggled. They're four points off the top. Um, I personally don't really count them in anymore in, in terms of really being in the title race. I, I think... Again, you know, should they win out, uh, which they, they don't have, they have a, I would call it a middle-of-the-road schedule, um, so they certainly can, but they're going to need some help, right, from Inter and, and Milan to, to actually win the title now, and um, I think that's frustrating. I think Spalletti deserves some blame for, for, especially this game, too. He has this habit of, like, turtle shelling late into games, and I think that's gotten them into some trouble, um, and that, that's an issue for me for, for Napoli, but uh, that's a team that I think has got to reassess this summer, too, because obviously the big storyline is Insigne, but who knows what's going to happen with Merton's future. Uh, you're probably going to have to help Osiman in some way, get him some some extra support and figure some things out. Um, who knows what departures they might have, too. So yeah. Napoli, it's a, big, it's a big transition summer for them, too, whether or not they're going to continue to push forward and, and be regular title contenders or maybe take a, a step back. Um, 
elsewhere in Italy, Cagliari, really important win for them for their survival in Syria over the weekend. I uh, just wanted to highlight this because the, the relegation fight in Italy hasn't been quite as uh, insane as it is in England at times, but um, they did get a 1-0 win over Sassuolo, uh, which is, is, is really, really big for them for, for staying in the league next season. Um, right now, they're on 28 points. Venezia is sitting in 18th, the final relegation spot at 22 points. They do have a game in hand, but doesn't seem likely. Uh, Salernitana had a shock win over Sampdoria over the weekend as well. Unfortunately, it just comes too late in the season, I think, for Salernitana to, to really stay in. Uh, they have a few games in hand, but I, I, I just don't see the, the great escape for them. But Cagliari, the, the, the big winners um, in terms of the actual points and, and what it does for them in their season uh, for keeping them out of the relegation spot. Uh, let's move to England, shall we? Where uh, Newcastle, this was a, a really fantastic game. There, there wasn't a ton of Premier League games on of high quality, I wouldn't say, this weekend because did have uh, th- the the big three were all playing in the FA Cup semifinals, so some of those bigger ties were, were postponed. But uh, Newcastle, late, late winner by Bruno Gamarish, uh Two goals in the game. Late diving header to win it. Uh, Leicester just in, uh, you know, obviously the Europa Conference League semifinals as well, uh, which is going to be fascinating. But um, really frustrating season for them, I, w- I would say. And Newcastle uh, looking to just build on some momentum for the summer because uh, we know that they're going to be spending the big, big dollars uh, now that they are Saudi-owned. <laughs> that's just that's just going to be the way it is, isn't it? Um, yeah, and the the FA Cup, like I had mentioned, we have Chelsea and Liverpool in the final. It's going to be a replay of the League Cup final, which we just had. Um, these two teams have been pretty inseparable this year. Uh, it, it's it's hard to like <laughs> through through all of the games. It's uh, it's been incredibly incredibly even decided by the smallest of margins. Had to go to a penalty shootout to decide the League Cup. I wouldn't be shocked if you see something similar uh, on the FA Cup in in a few weeks' time. So looking forward to that. And yeah, Chelsea, I thought. Pretty well cruised past Crystal Palace, uh, especially in the second half. I thought they took it up a gear that, that Palace couldn't match. And Liverpool win the rematch against Manchester City. Um, City, a, a slightly rotated side. Zach Steffen, I don't think, helps matters much by letting Sadio Mane att- uh, just tackle him into the goal. Um, and he w- didn't do very well for the third one either. But yeah, Liverpool, I, I think, if you're speaking in terms of momentum, certainly could be a, a little bit of a, a hit for City because now... Obviously, no chance of a trouble. Of course, they could win still the Premier League and Champions League, which would be fantastic for them. But um, I do wonder, too, like just losing like that to one of your rivals in a, a very challenging week in which you, you played them. And then Atletico Madrid, which is a, a challenging game in and of itself, um, what that does maybe to that team mentally. But they're incredibly resilient. I doubt it changes very much. But looking forward to that uh, FA Cup final, it's going to be a, a classic one. Um, Spurs nil, Brighton won. Brighton, uh... <laughs> Just the North London uh, chaos team, right? Because they they beat Arsenal, now they beat Spurs. Uh, just introducing a little of anarchy into the mix here for for the top four race. Um, they played well in this. I, I think I, I've been really impressed at times with Brighton this season, um, and and Leandro Trossard as well, scoring in both of these games against Arsenal and now against Spurs. Uh, he must have some kind of uh, real vendetta against both of those clubs. But yeah, I think. You know, Graham Potter is someone that I think is going to be discussed a lot about his future and where he ends up. Um, this is just another like quality wind under his resume. And I've, I think we've all been banging the table that if Brighton could have just gotten a more reliable striker, uh, where they would be. And, and I, almost every club like in the mid table and, and some you know near the bottom will always say that, that if they just had a better goal scorer. But like, I don't think it's ever been more true with a team like Brighton where if they just had someone who could get like 12 
league goals this season <laughs> you know like they would be amazing like i i imagine like danny ings at brighton and i just think that would have been yeah. spectacular i you know like i i just i i really think that they're, they're missing that that final piece i mean you can see that spurs is kind of one dimensional right now what i mean by that is they attack down one side and one side only but if you look at the if you look at their three four three all of their players that can kind of aside from sun that can kind of get goals are all on the are all on the right side or players that can create right emerson i think is more of a get forward guy than reguilon which will kind of just kind of sit in there and get forward and participate in link up play but also gets back on defense um you know you got bendikur and kulusevsky on that right side who will you know be more active and then look to cut back to sun who will be the final you know goal scorer like kane so it makes sense that you know, someone like Trossard in Brighton's kind of lineup, they can get forward on that counterattack because all of that right side is, is moving forward in that system. They're kind of one-dimensional in that aspect. If Harry Kane isn't the guy in the center moving the ball around, they're moving it down the right side. So when a team like Brighton, who's very strong on the left, they're going to be able to get down that field and, and put pressure on the counterattack. So uh, – We've talked about Spurs, you know, in the past, you know, this summer is going to be big for them because the, Conte wants to get his guys and, and really solidify the team and make it a, li a little more balanced so they can have more attacking options. So uh, whether that is getting a right wing back or, or a winger so maybe Reguilon can play in place of Davies or, uh, you know, getting a center back that, kind of, that can kind of play over there. Maybe, maybe Conte looks to be, bring Bastoni in from Inter. no shot of that yeah. no shot of that they'd have to pay bread it, it doesn't help you this was their first game uh after matt doherty's uh season-ending injury um yeah. and he had been you know really mercurial for them on that right uh so far we all know the traditional big four sports and we have our favorite teams and enjoy them each and every week during their seasons but what if i told you the fastest growing sport on two feet doesn't involve football, baseball, basketball, or hockey. Come join me, Dom Ponteri, and Harrison Kremens as we break down the sport of the future each and every week on the Outside the Box podcast, talking all things pro and college lacrosse right here on the Underground Sports Philadelphia Podcast Network. Yeah, they did five shots in this game. Spurs did zero on target. Uh, just a really tame offensive performance to them, which is surprising when you consider just how good they'd been coming into this yeah. game in terms of goal scoring. Uh, Kane and Son have been playing so fantastic. Um, so came to a little bit of a halt, but they, they are still very much um, in a good position, in a good spot. Especially kind of to weird for me to, it's kind of weird for me to see that Bentinker got the captain's armband instead of somebody like Kane. Uh, did he? Yeah, at least with what I'm looking at right now. Oh, never mind. Sorry. That that C is a clearance off the line. I thought that meant <laughs> captain. Um, I'm sorry. I lied. Yeah, um, um, Bensinger surprised me too because I, I wasn't as high on him uh, as I was on, on Kulusevsky, but I think he's been in many ways just as good as Kulusevsky has been for, for Spurs, which is, again, I, I can't say enough just – Kind of surprising uh, for me when when I watched him play for Juventus so often it felt like he was giving the ball away in bad positions. But um, yeah, 
credit to Brighton for, for limiting Spurs as well as they did and, and slowing them down. And we have to credit as well Southampton 1, Arsenal 0, uh, keeping the top four race very interesting. Thank you to our South Coast friends in Brighton and Southampton for doing this. Uh, the story of this game, too, is Fraser Forster with uh, just f- some fantastic saves. Uh, I-, I can remember the Bukoyo uh, Saka one that-, that probably should have found the back of the net, but uh, still great reaction. Just just beautiful stuff from him. Um, yeah, Arteta was like very complimentary of him in the postgame press conference, too, saying that, uh, you know, on another day that they're probably scoring more and you know they just had a, a great key performance and you get games like this right where yep. you know just the other the other team's keeper just stands on his head a little bit and it, it's <laughs> it's going to take a really really great effort to get it past that being said i i think arsenal this has been a, a little bit of an issue for them is their inability to to finish goals and looking a little disjointed up top uh didn't help that they didn't have lacazette for this one due to a um a COVID test result. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's not great for Eddie and Katia either, because this was a, a good opportunity for him really this entire season, uh, especially, but since uh, Aubameyang left, it's been a, a good opportunity for him to like stamp his claim on, on being a, a genuine part of this team going forward. And he, I, I just have not seen that. Um, haven't seen it from him for a while, but uh, this would have been the game I think for him to, to have that type of performance. And he just didn't. And yeah, Arsenal now three straight losses. Uh, this is a team that not that long ago, it really did feel like top four was, was very much theirs, but um, they've fallen off that path. Still, you know, they, they, they can make it theirs. They, they, can, they can still finish top four. That's, that's not out of the question for them. Um, and they still have the game in hand against Spurs in, in which they could help that, that make a reality. But um, it is frustrating, right? They're a young team. They've, they've one of the youngest teams in the league. Um, I think that's part of it. Arteta uh, thinks that as well and has talked about how there's a lot of pressure on them and he's trying to, to soothe that and ease that. And, you know, he's trying to, to create the best, you know, like atmosphere for them and best support system because they need it because they're they're so inexperienced. But I think you see that in games like this sometimes too, where, you know, I think a, a team more capable, you know, is, is putting Southampton away, you know, with the chances that they had um, and maybe with a little bit more quality and experience, but that just wasn't the case in Southampton. It's it's a good one for them. They they're, you know, they're one of these teams at this stage of the season where you never quite know what type of performance we're going to get for them because there's really not much for them to play for. Um, they're the very comfortably mid table. They're not getting relegated and they're not close to European spots. Um, but I, I thought they played very well. It's a little odd to me that Martinelli and Saka were on opposite sides of the field than they normally are. Martinelli was on the right and Saka was on the left. Martinelli had five shots. But I think that if he was on the left, maybe one of them may have gone in. Uh, I mean, when you're when you're playing a guy like Forster, who you know, is a is a league vet and is playing like that, it's very frustrating. Like you said, twenty three shots to nine. I mean, granted, twelve of those shots were off target for Arsenal and six were on target. But still, like that's crazy that that they couldn't at least get one into the net. I mean, the, the, the quality is there in creating the chances, especially against a team like Southampton. But like you said, not having Lacazette probably really, really hurt uh, Arsenal with their because they when that seems to happen, it seems like they always depend on their left and right, you know, wingers to try to create well, I think all the chances. Lacazette too is is really good for facilitating their play. Yeah. And I think yeah. you missed that. But yeah, I mean, just speaking to overall, you know, the, the pressure that they applied here. Um, Southampton had 213 so 
213 total passes. Arsenal had 367 just in Southampton's half alone. Um, they had 655 total. So, uh, you know, three times the passes completed. They, they very much did control large, large, large portions of this game. Just did not have anything to show for it. So that's a frustrating result. I think that's one over time that you start to see less of from teams like this as they grow, as they, they get better players, as they get experience and, and develop themselves. Um, you know, you'll, you'll see that change a little bit, but... A frustrating one nonetheless and yeah i mean it, it makes top four interesting because united have, have crept back into the conversation just a little bit uh with their win over norwich and uh tottenham sitting at 57 points manchester united with 54 arsenal level on them with 54 with a game in hand um west ham seem off the mark now uh, especially with their draw over the weekend they're very much europa league focused it, it certainly seems like uh, they have 52 points but yeah it's it's really between Spurs, United, and Arsenal, as it's been for some time now. Uh, it felt like United had fallen off that path a little bit. Uh, they face a really tough test with Liverpool tomorrow. That's that's obviously a very meaningful game for both clubs. Uh, Liverpool trying to stay, obviously, in the title race, and you know United now with an outside chance at, at making top four. Um, you know they're only three points behind. They can certainly make that ground up, and that would mean a lot uh, because they do have Eric Ten Hag apparently confirmed now uh, to be going there. There have been a lot of rumors over the last week that that was getting close to done. It's according to at least Fabrizio Romano, uh, a done deal. Here we go. Um, looking forward to that, and and I'm sure we'll break that down. That'll be one of the things we do over the summer is talking about Ten Hag and how that's going to work. Um, I'm going to say that it probably won't work very well uh, because that has been the history of Manchester United appointments the last few years is that they swing really hard at guys like this and then don't quite give it the effort that it deserves and end up striking out on them because they, they don't know how to properly organize their team. But that is a conversation, I think, for another day. Uh, we're going to preview this week because we have some some big Copa Italia games to look forward to. Uh, we're going to just do a, a very short roundup, too, of what happened in Europe and look ahead towards there. But Copa Italia, we've got Milan versus Inter uh, tomorrow, which is Tuesday or today, if you're listening to that. Uh, that's nil-nil on aggregate. Everything to play for still. Really looking forward to this one. Um, again, this is this is a spot for for a cup final, you know, and it's against your your most hated rival. So, yeah, <laughs> plenty, plenty to play for for both these clubs it's uh yeah it's a chance for both of them to, to have a chance at, at silverware and to already have the supercopa under their belt i'm sure they would love to perhaps do a, a domestic treble this season and of course milan will of course want it to, <laughs> to the very least put an end to that but yeah it's a chance for milan to win some trophy as well um they're still obviously in it with the league but you know this is a very tangible result that they could hold you know for themselves as to what they've achieved as a very young team and juventus fiorentino on wednesday uh, juventus have a one nil lead there uh, due to a very very late goal uh despite fiorentino's great performance in that first leg um and that's an away goal as well so that's that's tough it's hard to see fiorentino overcoming that but juventus have been anything but consistent and amazing uh really through the course of this whole season but even when they've been better you know in the last three four months i still think they're a team that can then lose on their day and fiorentina have been playing very well recently um they've gotten i would say better results than what would just be beating you know juventus but it is juventus on the road that's a challenge but i think fiorentina can can make something of that yeah uh with respect to milan inter this could be a confidence booster or confidence killer moving on into the end of the season if Milan can get that win over Inter, Inter may, you know, fall into some inconsistencies, you know, switching the lineup around and all that. Uh, and with Milan getting a win, that could give them confidence, you know, playing these bigger teams that they have coming up in the end of the season. Uh, 
So, you know, there's a lot riding on that game more than just, you know, a spot in a cup final. Uh, Juventus and Fiorentina, like you said, Juventus has been very inconsistent and Fiorentina on a good day can, can put a few behind the net uh, or put a few in the net rather. Um, so, but, you know, I can see Juventus moving on to that cup final. I don't know who's going to move, who's going to win the other tie between the Milan clubs, but uh, it's going to be really interesting. It's going to be real interesting moving on, moving forward towards the end of the season. I'm almost like, I, I kind of want to have an opinion where Milan loses. This way they can just focus on the league. Because having those cup, having that cup final coming in at the end, does the is the cup final after the end of the season, or is it another like midweek game before the end of the season? Usually, usually it's a it's the last game. I want to say um, I will get a, a firm answer on that. I disagree. I think you you want to win every everything. I I, I don't think. Um, well, me, well, it all it all depends when that game is because I don't want them getting like tired like midweek and have the squad rotate against the squad. It's like a trophy. Solo. I know it's a trophy. I know. You know, maybe that's a loser mentality for me, but um, no, obviously I want them to win and, and win everything that they can because that gives them momentum moving forward with the rest of the games that they have. Um, I don't know. It, it's a very small part of me is like, uh, but. Obviously, I want them to get that trophy. They haven't had a trophy in years, so uh, the final is final. May eleventh. So that's after that's the that's season. in the that's in the season. I think that's in the season. It doesn't matter. I mean, really, if Milan wins and gets to the final, I think they win the final anyway against either of those two teams. So, yeah, let's get a win. Fuck okay, it, let's get a win. All right, I'm glad I'm glad you settled on that finally. Um, yeah, you you always want your teams to get into finals. Come on, hey, they're they're one of the most storied clubs in Europe. It'd be good to see them winning trophies again, competing for leagues again, being back in Champions yeah. League. I think it, it means a lot for Milan. And Inter have you know been very good, and especially in recent history, have had the better limelight. Uh, good for them to to take some of that back. I would say uh, Champions League we have to look forward to. We were we were half confirmed when we recorded last week on who would be in the semifinals. Now we have it all. The picture is very clear to us. Uh, Real Madrid versus Manchester City on one side of the bracket and Liverpool versus Villarreal on the other side of the bracket. Um, Manchester City versus Madrid is going to be fantastic. I, I think this is these are the types of ties that you, you really love Champions League for. Uh, Madrid who didn't play particularly amazing against Chelsea, not particularly amazing against PSG. Are found themselves here based off of some experience and just some voodoo magic, of course. And uh, Manchester City survived Atletico Madrid's onslaught and uh, personal attacks and affronts on their character. Um, not without some damage, though. Uh, Jao Cancelo is going to be suspended for the first game. Uh, Kyle Walker has a slight injury, which could be a concern for them. Uh, we'll see uh, whether or not he's available. Um, and Kevin De Bruyne had some stitches coming out of that game. He wasn't able to play in the FA Cup game, but I'd imagine you know you're you're looking at two weeks uh, to play that, or about a week and a half now at this stage. Uh, probably should be available, but that's clearly like the glamour tie. Liverpool v versus Villarreal can't be understated, but Gerard Moreno did pick up a, a hamstring injury. He's obviously really important to what Villarreal do, a uh, key part of that attack. If he's not available, that's going to be a struggle, but this is an experienced team uh, in Villarreal. They have some Premier League players that I'm sure we've all heard of. They also have Raul Albiol, who is a just absolute veteran. Guys played in many, many Champions League games, lest we forget, uh, a former Real Madrid man, so and uh, a Napoli man, so 
he uh, he's been in in high leverage situations and yeah i'm looking forward to seeing how that team plays because uh, they've been counted out so much they were counted out against Bayern, and then if you go back to last season in the europa league uh, no one gave them a shot of reaching the final let alone beating manchester united in it uh, and they also took chelsea very close in uh, the uefa cup you know in the uh, the super cup there so um, I, I really like what Villarreal do. I think Liverpool have to be considered the favorites, though. Um, it, it seems like a path towards the final is certainly there for them. Um, I find it very hard to pick between Madrid and City. I, I Part of me thinks City is certainly the better team, and I think they've played better, and I think they've they've really gotten here based off of results and performance, uh, where has Madrid just have, as we've talked about so often, they have that just kind of air of excellence about them and have this ability to get through ties, even maybe when they don't deserve to. And it feels like it's just very much that, you know, Kareem Benzema has just had a fantastic season. Um, he's scoring late winners in the league. He's scoring weight winners in the, the Champions League. He's scoring hat-tricks. Um, it just feels like he's especially someone that could give City's back line a, a lot of trouble. <laughs> To get in the whole podcast hosted by Stephen McAvoy and John Mavalia. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Get In The Whole Pod and be on the lookout for a ton of great content keeping you up to date on the world of golf. Releasing weekly a part of the Underground Sports Philadelphia family of podcasts wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Yeah, I mean, Benzema has just been absolutely electric the last few weeks both in Europe and with the league. And he's been a vital part to Real Madrid's success. Um, and, and if he continues playing the way that they're playing right now, I wouldn't be surprised if seeing Real Madrid lift the Champions League trophy at the end of this tournament. Um, but it, it, I want to I focus more on that City Atletico uh, tie. It was very ironic to see Atletico fans in the club, I think it was the club president actually, right? Complaining that City parked the bus and just sat back and just like, isn't that what Simeone's entire system is? Like sit back, park the bus and catch your team on a counter? Like it, it, it was very ironic and funny to me that like that's what they were complaining about the whole time. In the interest of remaining neutral, as I'm always trying to do, I will simply say this. As someone who's had to watch the, our team play Athletic Madrid, both of us have had to do that this year, yeah. but in the past, I don't think anyone was upset necessarily that Atletico Madrid got done the way they did. Nope. That's it. Uh, but nope. I, you know, I think what's been lost in that game is um, after the red card, they actually had their best chances of the game you know, the last 10, 15 minutes. They almost sent it to extra time, which I really wanted to happen because I just think that would have been just spectacular for the drama. And certainly not because we played City uh, four days later in the FA Cup semifinal. I, I, you know, I didn't want them to have to play an extra 30 minutes of very intense uh, football, of course. But um, yeah, I, I did think City as a big prove at point too, though. You know, to, to get out of a tie like that, out of a, a, an atmosphere like that, it is a huge, huge feather in their cap. I have a very hard time picking a winner out of this. I, I can't help but feel that the winner of this is probably the favorite in the final, even if Liverpool do make it, uh, just because of, of... If it's Real Madrid, I I don't find many people would be betting against them. Uh, they're obviously European royalty. They, they've you done this a lot. Huh? You have money on them. <laughs> I do. I do have a bet on Real Madrid uh, from, from some weeks ago. Got him at plus 1,400. Thank you very much, because uh, as soon as I got a matchup against PSG, I was like, I knew that these people were going to think that PSG had a chance, which they didn't, because they love to collapse. Um, 
see, I, I guess I do have some incentive uh, in seeing Madrid <laughs> at least make the final. But if it's against Liverpool, I, uh, I don't know what I do there exactly. But um, yeah, and City I think would would probably be favored against Liverpool on a neutral venue. Uh, they were for the the semi final, I believe, before we knew that they were going to be rotated. But um, it does feel like you know pretty good ch- chance that the winner comes out. Can't discount Liverpool, of course. You know they, they could certainly win, and they have done before. Let's just talk real briefly about Europa League because we have some tasty matchups here too. Uh, Leipzig versus Rangers, uh, West Ham versus Frankfurt. Frankfurt upsetting Barcelona. Uh, I think to a lot of people's surprise too, because uh, Barcelona had been a team in really good form, uh, playing really well in Xavi, and I thought didn't play terribly in the first leg, but uh, we're probably lucky to escape with just a one-one draw. I thought we're pretty much outplayed at home where there was 30,000 Frankfurt fans and there's an entire investigation now into exactly how that happened. Um, but yeah, West Ham Frankfurt, that's fantastic. Uh, you're going to see one of those teams in the final and you're going to see one of Leipzig and Rangers uh, in the final as well. Rangers who just advanced to the Scottish Cup final. I watched the the second half of that over the weekend, which was spectacular, but um, hard to pick this one. Hard to pick who's coming out here. I'm rooting for Frankfurt. Because you know, I think a lot a, of people are. There's a there's a uh, Norwegian oh on that team that I that I have a soft spot for. So, um, yeah, we're we're rolling with the German. We're rolling with one of the two German squads left in the in, in the tournament. I have to say, the last time I did this, I attached myself to Frankfurt, and they played a uh, London club uh, in the semifinals of the Europa League. It did not go great for me because Chelsea won, and then eventually beat Arsenal in the final. Um, so that's a challenge. Obviously, they'll have to overdo some history, but Frankfurt have been fantastic to watch. Uh, really enjoying them. West Ham, though, I mean, they've had a, a, an amazing season, and I think it's even more interesting, too, when you consider how far off of it they were a few years ago, especially when they brought David Moyes back. And, you know, they really didn't seem like a team that had this kind of bright future in them, but here they are, you know, on the verge of a, a European final, and that's massive. And Leipzig, it would be a huge, you know, water watershed moment for them because it'd be their first trophy, um, and it'd be a, a European one at that, which is, is a, a fantastic mark to set for themselves. And Rangers, I mean, you know, they've sort of turned themselves into like a, a, a cup team a little bit, and, you know, they're, they're a little off it in the league this season, but to, to even make a European final for them I think would be massive. Uh, in, in terms of, of of putting them back in that kind of stature in that class, um, yeah, I, I think every every team here has has something to to really play for in terms of uh, not just the trophy itself, but I think there's a little bit of prestige that would be bestowed upon them that some of these teams have lost, or some of these teams looking for that that kind of acclamation for the very first time. Dumb. That's all we got tonight. That's all we got to get through. Uh, anything to say before we get out of here? I just want to shed some light on the Conference League semifinal legs as well. Leicester City and Roma, that's going to be an electric matchup. I mean, Roma kind of put their foot down after getting made fun of constantly on Twitter after losing the Buttle Glimt uh, 2-1, and they won 4-0, so they're playing Leicester. Um, Leicester City is one of the favorites to win the whole thing, so you know that's that's going to be a very interesting matchup, especially with the form that Roma's been in recently. And on the other end, Feyenoord, Marseille, uh, most you know casual fans would probably say that Marseille is going to win that leg, but you cannot count out Feyenoord. They had a tough mat- matchup against Slavia Praha, where you know they had a three-three draw, and then they put up another three goals in the second leg. So they're putting up goals. They're having an electric offense, and Marseille was like uh, both of their goal- games were kind of uh, decided by one goal. So. 
Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, who ends up in the final there. Uh, don't count that out. You know, yep. that's that. those are just as big at matchups as all the other two European competitions that we talked about. So, yeah, inaugural season, too. So, you, yeah. and whatever club wins it, we'll always have that, too, that they were the first. And any of those teams, too, I think will have a, a huge claim. I think Roma fans would take it very far that they won a European trophy uh, in the, the only Italian club. I do club. not want that to happen. <laughs> first Italian club to do that in, in 12 years right uh i'm sure they would love to to let people know about that one um yeah for lester it'd obviously be a huge moment for them too especially hilarious because brennan rogers pretended like he didn't know that this competition even existed when they got knocked out of europa league uh so like in marseille right you know obviously you know they were in a, a europa league final not that long ago either um and obviously second in league one and and we'll be, be fighting for that fine nord similar position right there where they've had a lot of european history too it'd be i think Feyenoord can be the first team to win the champions league europa league and uh now the conference league so they'll have a, a really good shot at that i i can't imagine many teams will ever really have that opportunity because i don't know how many teams really would have won champions league in europa league or you know the the european cup yeah. and uefa cup and then have the opportunity to play conference league but anyway right anyone you can make history make it happen one last thing I want to talk about before the end. I just want to make a comment. Good riddance to Atletico Madrid because <laughs> they dealt with karma and it finally caught up to them in this matchup against City. All the fans were complaining about a wrongful penalty call or something, I think, in City's favor. Um, maybe a handball or something like that. But the only reason that they were in that position in that matchup was because of a handball that was not called on Lamar in the matchup against Milan. So uh, good riddance, Atletico Madrid. Karma caught up to you finally. See you later. Can't help but agree there, actually, now that now that you mentioned it. Good riddance, Atletico Madrid. That's all we got for you. We'll see you next week. We got some big Serie A games over the weekend, too, and, and Premier League games to, the, to look forward to recapping. We'll see where the title race stands in both leagues now. Uh, until then, though, hope you enjoyed. Hope you enjoy yourself. Have a safe week, and we'll talk to you next time.